Hey everybody, and welcome to Well Said, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill podcast in which we talk with students, faculty, and staff about what's happening on campus and around the world. Today, we're on the phone with Nicholas Law talking about astronomy and the Everyscope. You're an assistant professor in the Department of Physics and Astronomy, and you're also the principal investigator for the Everyscope. What is that, and how is it related to Carolina? So the Everyscope is a new type of telescope which observes the entire sky simultaneously. So it's actually an array of a couple of dozen individual cameras with overlapping fields of view. And they basically stare at the sky and wait for anything to change in the entire sky accessible from our observatory site in Chile. The Everyscope is a uh, UNC telescope. It was funded by the National Science Foundation and designed and built here at UNC. I'm the project pr principal investigator. We deployed it a few years ago. We've been analyzing the data from it since. It generates a tremendous amount of data. Uh, on the order of a petabyte of data, that's a million gigabytes. We're starting to publish the science results from it now. Why was there a need for you to develop the Everyscope? What makes this telescope so different? Existing sky surveys work in one of two ways. Either they stare at a small part of the sky and wait for things to change very rapidly, and that's a great way of finding planets going in front of stars or very rapid timescale events. But you just can't look at very much of the sky with that technique because you're only staring at a small part with a single telescope. If you want to cover much larger areas of the sky to look for rare events, the things that maybe only happen once a year across the entire sky, then what you need to do is have a telescope which looks at one small part of the sky, then the next part, then the next part, then the next part, and after some time goes back to the first part of the sky it looked at to see if something changed. And that means you can't look at short timescale events. You can only look at events that happen on longer timescales than it takes to cover the entire sky with your telescope, let's say a day or a week or something like that. So we built the Everyscope as kind of a middle ground between those two types of surveys, something that would be able to observe the entire sky all of the time, looking for things which are very fast, like this Proxima superflare, but also that you need to cover the entire sky to have a chance of picking them out because they're quite rare. How exactly do you use it to monitor the stars in the sky? During night in Chile, every two minutes, the Everyscope takes a one gigapixel-sized snapshot of the sky. And we record that on disk, and then we have a software pipeline, which we've spent most of the last couple of years developing, which analyzes that snapshot. And that means looking at the image, finding the stars in the image, matching those with known stars in the sky, and then seeing if something's changed, if a star has gotten brighter or fainter, or if there are new stars that have appeared. We have a system which can detect those types of changes, and it flags it to humans. And then on some timescale, depending on how awake we are and how busy we are, we look at the things that are flagged and say, oh, well, that's really interesting. Or maybe that's really boring. We've seen a bunch of those. And then the really interesting things we follow up, we try to figure out what the physics of the situation is and if we need to get other telescopes involved in figuring out what it is and, and so on. Why did you decide to put the telescope in Chile? 
Chile is actually a wonderful observing site. There's very dark skies, very good weather in uh, the foothills of the Andes. And UNC already has a very strong investment in telescopes down there. So we have a four meter telescope saw, which is quite a quite a large telescope that UNC is a, is a major partner in. We also have a group of small telescopes called the Prompt Array at this site in, in Chile, which is the Sierra Tololo International Observatory. And what that means is when the Everyscope discovers something, the next step is going from, well, something changed in the sky to what changed, what was it? And for that, you need other telescopes that can tell us the colors of the objects or the types of elements that are, make up the objects. And you need other telescopes to do that. And UNC already had a really nice suite of telescopes down in Chile, which could do that for Everyscope discoveries. Something interesting you've found with the Everyscope is a superflare on a star close to our sun. What is a superflare? A superflare is a scaled up version of the types of solar flares we see from our own sun quite often. So basically it's an explosion on the surface of the star, a release of energy. Our sun produces these quite often. We've seen what would be called reasonably large events over the course of human history. There were some that caused problems for the early telegraph systems and that kind of thing just from the effects on the earth from those flares. Super flares are much larger events that have been seen on other stars, which could have potentially devastating impacts on habitable worlds around those stars. Proxima Centauri is the nearest star to our sun, and it's thought to have a potentially habitable world around it, at least likely to have a rock at the right distance from its star for liquid water to be on its surface if there's an atmosphere to the planet. But Proxima is an extremely active star, so we wanted to look at the effects of these super flares if they exist from Proxima on the planet. So with the Everyscope, we monitored Proxima for several years. Well, we monitored every star in the southern sky for several years. Proxima was one of those 15 million stars. And what we saw for Proxima Centauri was a giant flare where the star got about 70 times brighter than it is normally. And just think what it would be like if our sun got 70 times brighter for a few minutes. I mean, it would be a pretty spectacular event that probably wouldn't go well for our planet. What we found is that these flares are actually quite common from Proxima Centauri several times a year, and that could have really bad implications for what it would be like to be on the surface of that planet when one of these flares goes off. Why do you think there's so much interest in the Proxima Centauri superflares? The amount of interest took us by surprise quite a bit. We didn't put out a press release. We just put the paper up on, on the normal place where people put pre-submission papers up in, a, in astronomy just to get comments from professional astronomers. And somehow it, it took off. And we're, we're very happy with that, obviously. I think where people are really interested in it is the potential implications of if the nearest star to our sun hosts a habitable world. If it does, it's a really strong target for looking for life in the rest of the universe. We would have a very nearby, potentially habitable world to go look at, even potentially to send um, probes to. What we've shown is that this super flare is strong enough, along with other super flares that happen several times a year from Proxima, to basically over a very short period destroy the ozone layer of this planet if the planetary atmosphere is anything like the Earth's atmosphere. And that means the ultraviolet light from this flare would reach the surface of the planet unimpeded or reasonably unimpeded, which would 
produce ultraviolet intensities which are well beyond what most organisms on Earth can survive. And I think that really captured people's imagination that this is a really extreme environment blasted by ultraviolet radiation and Earth-like life would struggle to survive. But it's important to say that what that means is that life on Proxima b, this planet, would have to adapt to the environment in which it finds itself. And Earth life has to do that all of the time as well. And we know of some lichens on Earth which can survive ultraviolet light of that intensity. Proxima life would have to adapt very severely. It would have to really struggle against this huge ultraviolet uh, light. But it's probably possible it could survive it. Would humans be able to survive on Proxima b? an exoplanet that orbits Proxima Centauri? It's far too early to tell that. For all we know, that world is a beautiful oasis with jungles and oceans and beaches and all of that kind of thing, and it would be a nice place to us for, for us to visit. For all we know, it's a blasted rock with no atmosphere at all. That's really what we want to find out as, as a field at the moment. Are there worlds out there like the Earth, not just in how big they are and what temperature they have, but what the surface is like. Is there an atmosphere? Are there oceans? Is there weather? And, and, and so on. So it's something we would love to be able to know in the future. If the planet has an Earth-like atmosphere, the ultraviolet light on its surface would be challenging for most organisms. I think Proxima b could still be habitable by humans. You can protect yourself from ultraviolet light with you know, a metal roof or something like that. The question is, could life have evolved at all on a planet subjected to this level of radiation? And that's, that's a question that's well beyond us as, as observational astronomers, but I'm really excited to see what the evolutionary biologists and astrobiologists do with our finding and in terms of what the possibilities for life on the planet are. How does the research you lead with the EveryScope fit in with Carolina's other astronomy research? We do a lot of different areas of astronomy at UNC. We have two people focusing, two faculty focusing on exoplanets, so myself and Chris Clemens. Chris Clemens does completely different types of planets than, than my group looks at. Chris is looking at planets which are in the environment of white dwarfs, which are the ancient stellar remnants of stars like our sun. Billions of years from now, our sun will collapse into a white dwarf, which is about the size of the Earth itself. And we have signs that there are planetary debris left over around these stars after that collapse. And Chris is looking into that debris, trying to figure out what it's made of, where it comes from, and, and so on. We just um, hired a new exoplanet astronomer who's working on planets around young stars, how planets form. His name's Andrew Mann, and we're very excited about how he's going to really diversify our exoplanet interests. And then we have other faculty at UNC who look at everything from distant galaxies to gamma ray bursts on the other side of the universe, titanic explosions. You can see some of them even with the naked eye, even although they're on the other side of the universe. We also have theorists who model the formation of stars and, and planets, and cosmologists who try to understand the formation of our entire universe. What's next for the EveryScope? We're really excited about this finding, and this is actually the first major scientific result from the EveryScope, and we're, we're quite proud of that. Where we're going next is we want to do the same thing for all the other stars 
in the EveryScope data set. As I said, Proxima is one star. We've been doing exactly the same type of monitoring campaign for 15 million other stars in the southern sky. What we want to move from is this Proxima doing an interesting thing to its own planet, to trying to understand how common these types of super flares are around stars of all types. Because NASA is actually launching a mission called TESS, which is designed to find planets around stars all around the sky. Once we've found those planets, the next question, of course, is are these planets potentially habitable? And one of the major things there is what is the stellar activity? Are they subjected to these massive super flares, which can really cause problems on the surface of those planets? We have the data actually on disk to be able to answer that question for all of the stars in the southern sky that TESS is looking at and being able to find out if these planets really are potentially habitable. We're actually building a northern hemisphere version of the Everyscope, which will be going to California later this year, and we'll be able to cover the rest of the sky with the same kind of searches. But that's not the only thing that we're doing with the Everyscope. As I said, we're monitoring all of the stars in, in the southern sky, all of the bright ones, and they all do a lot of different things. We have students looking for planets around those stars uh, that have not been discovered before. We have collaborators who are monitoring systems of multiple stars, looking to see if planets are tugging those multiple stars around and changing the timing at which we see the stars eclipsing each other. We have collaborators who are looking for explosions, supernovae in nearby galaxies, and the Everyscope can produce a very short timescale view on what happens in those explosions, what happens really early on to figure out the physics of what causes supernovae. I could go on and on. We have about 25 different what we call science cases for the telescope to perform. We're really excited to be producing these things and getting going on these things. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. Be sure to check unc.edu in two weeks for another episode of Well Said. Or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Android apps.